0: and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started.
1: My name is Adam Homie. I am your host. And I am honored once again by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show takes you to those places where you have those mastermind meetings and aha moments that can change your trajectory or at least bring you a little bit closer to serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Today I come to you from my luxurious purple couch in my sumptuous apartment here in Las Vegas, known to some on some days as the hottest city in America. I'm in the presence of my feline production assistants Princess Alessandra and Princess Stella uh, this is an audio show so just imagine me being mobbed by a couple black cats so today we're going to be discussing the human element and we're going to kind of dive right in here because there's so much to say about this the human element in leadership our guest today his name is Matthew Brackett he's the founder of the Brackett Alliance So let me just tell you about him. With uh, 30 years of experience in the field of personal and professional leadership education development, Matthew has held leadership, educational, and consulting roles in Italy, Ireland, England, Colombia, Chile, and Mexico, as well as serving as a special staff officer and chaplain in the United States Navy. As a frequent podcast guest, Matt leverages his Heart-centered care for thousands, his ample familiarity with complex global organizations, broad intercultural experience, and varying postgraduate degrees in human development and leadership in a uniquely excuse me, uniquely insightful manner. Guys, you can tell it's been a long day. But anyway, we're gonna close my day off here with a bang. Matthew Brackett, come on in, the weather's fine.
2: All righty, here we are. It just started raining down here, but yes,
1: here we are. Thank you. We're, yeah, where's here? Where's here, by the way?
2: In Mexico City.
1: Oh, great, great.
2: Yes, at the moment, that's where I'm living.
1: Great. I expect to be in Mexico next year. A friend of mine's daughter's getting married, so I'm going to use the opportunity. It'll be my first time out of the state since before the bug hit.
0: Right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay. so, uh, so, uh way things are going, I better renew my passport now. <laughs> yeah.
0: it, takes a few it takes a few months.
2: So, yes.
1: Yep so uh before we dive in i read off your official bio so impressive i'm not sure i'm worthy to be in your presence and this is my show uh what we like to do is we read off the bio which is great but let's hear a little bit in your words tell us a bit about your journey and how it's actually brought you to where you are today serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion
2: thank you adam and thank you for allowing me to share the mic with you and with your audience well, there's a little bit more to my background. So I'm the 10th of 13 kids. All right. I left with uh, small town New England is where I grew up. I left home at the age of 18 on a mission to, to serve, to do something big in the world and make a difference. And that took on a form of religious ministry. So I, I went into seminary, I did 10 years of training and education, and then I was ordained as a Catholic priest. So that really doesn't come out very clearly in my bio. All right. And, and then that's what brought me then to know so many different cultures and fields and really serving people. And then and, and so everything that you read, all all that is there. And then I I think transitions happen in life generally because of three reasons. One is um pain. Another is a dream, or another is a uh, or is love. And I have to say that I I experienced a lot of pain just where I discovered that I was in the wrong place. So it just wasn't the right place for me. And so I had to make, come to terms with that, reconcile my decisions and transition into the civilian sector, which is where I am now, where, where I still feel that I'm very passionate about the human person and hence the topic of today, you know, the beautiful complexities of the human being. And so I want to continue to serve people. And leadership, as you know, is it's a common human experience, not only common, it's, it's an everyday human experience. And good, healthy leadership can be so life-giving, but also um, unhealthy and toxic leadership can be so destructive.
1: I have been on the receiving end of both. Right. Um, and uh, And there have been a couple times, you know, I'm a human being like everybody else, as I've continued to adapt, overcome, and further own my skills. I've made a few mistakes of my own that uh, have caused me to be perceived in that light by a couple people as well. And I believe that part of the human element is being able to recognize your own opportunities for growth. Yes. Yeah. So tell me what you mean. Let's just define our terms here. Managing the human element. What does that mean to you? (laughs) What does that phrase mean?
2: So, man, it's how, first of all, it's how we it's we are all human beings. So course, it's going deeper into who we are, what does it mean to be human, right? And what are all the aspects that make us up as human beings? Because I think, as I said, there's a beautiful complexity. there where there's a complexity about us, but there's also simplicity about us. And so it's understanding who we are as human beings, how we're wired for lack of a better term. and that's and then that's managing that um, managing that first and foremost in myself and maybe yeah. management isn't the best term but anyways it's how i how i lead myself how i manage all the aspects of my in in a healthy way in a, in a way that is is aligned with my values with my vision with my dreams with who i am and so that's that's part of it and then how we manage and how we lead others which again has a simple side to it but then there's a really complexity because we're all very different and so how we manage others and how we take care of the human element. It's one of the things that it, talking about this brings back to mind, just, you know, when I was serving with the Marines and sailors, there's something they had these days, where, you know, bring your spouse to work day, bring your kids mm-hmm. to work day. And I sort of thought about bring your humanity to work, not only as a day, but as something that we can always do. Right, that we can bring our humanity to work, obviously, in a specific context where there's rules right. and all this other stuff, but that we can bring the richness of our humanity to work. And that we don't have to shut it off when we step into certain professional spaces or that our leadership doesn't shut it off.
1: Wow. It's
2: a long winded answer to your question.
1: That's OK. That's OK. So... um you know what in some of your experience and uh, i know we covered a lot of points in the green room that you wanted me to go over and it feels like we may end up doing these somewhat in order uh Mm -hmm. but you just have so many great things you want to bring to the table i hope we get to most of them so Mm -hmm. uh i'm curious about how we use this human element and we use it for relationship building uh i found that uh working with various types of teams in-person teams virtual teams asynchronous teams. building strong relationships with them and creating a positive work culture. Uh, What are some of the best practices you've seen for that?
2: Thank you, Adam. So when I I like to step back. When we talk about leadership, let me just, again, we're talking about defining terms. Leadership in its simplest form is called, is talked about as as influence. Um, But really, leadership is a dynamic process around three points, which is the person in the leadership position, the followers, and then context. Right. And these three elements play off of each other. you know. And if we were to sort of define it, leadership, it's a, it's a process of where someone influences others to reach a common goal. And when I define leadership, I like to define it a little bit differently in a holistic approach, which is leadership, it's a mutual exchange of being and behaving. So going back to really who I am and then how I behave. Because that's we transmit both of those. It's who I am, and then how I behave and how that influences and not only influences, it also enables others to achieve their personal potential and a common goal. So I mentioned that and then going back into what you're saying is I really think that in creating culture and in working with others, that this whole aspect about enabling people to grow, growing our people is, is so important because it's, you know, the big, all that big word now that everyone uses is empowerment. But it's really, it's a, it's about trusting people, it's about giving them space, giving them the ability to to think, to be creative, to innovate, and really, essentially, Adam, to, to be seen. And I'm going to bring this back to something very basic. But as human beings, we want to be seen, we want to be heard, we want to be acknowledged, we want to be considered. And when we can do that with our people, performance... performance will be excellent but sometimes we forget that sometimes we forget this these basic things you know so we jump a whole bunch of steps hoping that people will perform at a high level and and forgetting that human element right of course people are meant to perform their work essentially it's a transaction right you do yeah and and i pay you
1: that's, yeah, That that's the bottom line. I mean, people can say that, you know, I love my job you know, and I love my business too. But the fact is, if I wasn't getting paid, I wouldn't be here.
2: Right, right.
1: I mean, that's uh, I, I can't put it any more bluntly than that. Right. And, and if this wasn't paying me the way I liked, I'd find something else. As an entrepreneur, I can do that.
2: Right. That's right. And that, and there's been a, you know, a big shift in, I suppose, in culture with the new generations. And I think there's this sort of this pandering to the human element, which I would say it's goes to an extreme, which is not healthy either, right? And so- you Yeah, know, the- to a degree. Right. You know, you don't just worry, what I'm saying, you know, where, when it's brought to an extreme, it's where, well, you give the employees just so much power over the organization institution where, you know, they can do whatever they want because, um, because of, you know, whatever they have going on. But we're going back to what we said, that work is also a transaction. Right. And where you yeah. offer service, we offer compensation. You know, and I love to go back to my my when I was working with the sailors and marines because I saw both of these elements very well played. You know, they were I and mean, with the Marines, you know, we have a mission, they're disciplined, they're responsible, we are accountable, right? And then you know the Marines, we make Marines, we win wars, we return better citizens, right? But we and I saw with the leaders that I dealt with who I who I advised they also cared, and I was sort of that branch of their leadership that cared. I was the eyes, the heart, the legs, the arms and ears that representing that caring side. And we wanna bring both of that, both of those things to the workplace where we have responsibility, accountability, and performance, but we also have that caring side where people, going back to what I said before, where people feel seen, where they feel heard, where they feel listened to, considered, acknowledged, because that brings about motivation, and that brings about better performance
1: yeah yeah absolutely absolutely I couldn't agree with that anything um anything more than what you said and you know I found that it is the case as you said that you know work or the business you're in is a transaction I mean uh you're not doing all the goodness of your heart necessarily even if you have altruistic games there is a quid pro quo in the terms of you getting paid for that now you brought up The younger generations. Um, I myself am considered a cusper. Uh, I'm at the very bottom of Gen X like two years before we get into all that millennial stuff. Mm -hmm. So basically I had the millennial experience just delayed by a year or two is the best way I know how to describe it. And uh, I know there are these stereotypes about your millennials, your Gen Ys, your Gen Zs and all that. And I think that some of it May actually exist exactly as people think it is, but I've had interactions with those folks as well. I deal with them all the time in business. They're now the absolute majority of the workplace and the absolute majority of the entrepreneurial space. And what I see are people who want to make a difference. They don't want to go sit in a cubicle and have their one hour for lunch and two minute 15 minute breaks and make sure that they reply to all emails within five minutes and submit PTO requests. It's like to hell with that. Uh, if I'm coming here, I want to, I want this to, to impact somebody. I want this to make a difference for the world. I want to generate a return on investment for my employer in exchange for them investing in me, which right. to me is fair. Now, my final point on this is you look at your millennials and the younger generations. The millennials were the first ones to, in broad scope, have consistent access to regular high speed internet on reliable machines at a point when the internet had a lot of information on it. Therefore, they have they had an unprecedented ability to gather information, do research, and form support networks that enabled them to break cycles, challenge paradigms, and create new mind frames in ways that were not necessarily the same when uh, the only way to get information was through microfiche and the Dewey Decimal System. So uh, that's why you have a lot of generational shifts. That's why you have all the cycle breakers. And that's why you have some of these folks looking down at these millennials and saying, these kids today, boy, I tell you, if they if they only knew what I went through, that's oh, yeah, great that you went through it. But I'm also seeing that that's working upward, too. Now we're having some of the older Gen Zs and even some of the boomers saying, What about me? I right. I I I wanna I wanna have that lifestyle. I want to make a difference. I want to generate and receive return on investment. I don't want to just push paper and obey arcane corporate roles that nobody remembers why they're there. Right. And yeah. so I think it's having a ripple effect going both ways, which is great. And I think a lot of that comes down to how we reframe and manage relationships yes yes
2: yes and this as you said there's so many generations now in the workforce right and they what i just think is important is that each generation we can learn so much from each other it's not about looking at each generation which is generally what sometimes what happens right and just sort of pointing out the negatives or but they enrich each other. We can learn, and I, these younger generations are so creative, they're so innovative. The you said they're so value-based, they want to make a difference in society, they're service oriented. There's so many things that we can build off of. And but I think I suppose the point that I was making before is just that balance between um, you know, discipline, responsibility, accountability, and and then just and then just taking care of our people so that our people can just show up at their best.
1: Absolutely. So uh... You mentioned empathy. Now, empathy is one of those words that there's actually some debate around, uh, whether it's actually a good thing or a bad thing, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. So you argue that it's important for leaders to possess empathy. So how do they go about cultivating that?
2: Right. I I start with, I would say that self-awareness is one of the greatest leadership assets and the lack of self-awareness be one of the greatest leadership liabilities. Right. Okay, and I would say that empathy builds off of this because it's the ability, first of all, to connect with myself and to connect with those around me, which is self-awareness, then emotional intelligence, all that stuff that we could, we could go into. Right? Empathy is very linked to that because it's the ability, it's this awareness and connection on an emotional level with myself and this ability to connect with others. Again, there's... There's different, you know there's always always a place for empathy right and and I think I just think balance is always important. what empathy I like to differentiate between sympathy and empathy is just with an image sympathy is when you're looking at someone who's sort of you know struggling to swim and you just stand on the side and you say oh that's too bad right I feel sorry uh-huh. And then empathy is I jump in and I'm, I'm with them um, and I try to and I'm I'm with them in that moment. Right. Right. Sitting with them in the moment and and trying to, you can never feel their emotions, but where, but you're trying to sit in those emotions with them and understand what they're going through. That's what I mean by empathy.
1: Certainly. And I think uh, with empathy goes flexibility. And here's another thing that I actually chalk up to being a generational shift. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. I I, I disclosed, uh, you know, where I come from. So you can guess I'm mid 40s. So you can imagine some of the messaging that I received um, from elders, from uh, teachers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, growing up is this idea that uh, is that uh, once you commit to something, you got to do it. And if you change your mind, you're a flip-flopper, you're inconsistent. But what we found in the, what we found in reality is that with the shifts in the environment of business and society, that flexibility is now an asset it in ways – or perceives as an asset in ways that it wasn't, at least from what I remember, growing up. Mm-hmm. And I think that also comes from a greater, a greater approach to diversity, and there are so many different ways to define diversity. Mm-hmm. I simply am just using the definition that everybody is a unique person who right. comes – who comes and views the world and their experiences through their own truth, which is formed by their experiences, education, and other travels that have brought them where they are today. So how do you approach this diversity in such a way that emphasizes the human element?
2: Right. So I like to take what I call a holistic approach to diversity, kind of building off how you defined it but I want to go stepping back just to the emphasis to the emotional side that you were, that you were highlighting is that I think we've grown in, in humanity where we've, we're paying a lot more attention to the emotional side. And, yeah. and I think that's, that's progress in humanity. Right. But again, balance is always important where we just, you know, where it's now and it's not all just about emotions and then everyone just kind of does whatever they want. Right. There's no accountability and all that. That's why just that balance is always important. But, I think we've grown in as, as a race where we're paying much more attention to this, right? There's a lot of, we've developed a lot in psychology and all the sciences to understand more how we function, how the brain works, the emotional side that, we, you know, that we aren't machines. We also sort of, as you know, your generation, I'm a little bit older than you, but we all went through that, you know, more of a hardcore sort of upbringing and, and we had to sort of start, turn off certain aspects of our emotional life and to, to, you know, to show up and to make it work. Like when I would talk about diversity, and I love the topic of diversity because I I say that ever since someone else existed, there's always been diversity, right? Because right. Of the existence of another, and our ability to look at the other and see that they're different and to, um, and try to understand that and, and accept that, and, and that's a journey. It's a journey of knowing, and and that's such, because human beings we are made for relationships, and every relationship. Is about diversity. It's about knowing the other and their uniqueness, right? Then, and when we talk about diversity, there's surface level diversity, and then there's deep level diversity. Surface level is sort of what the metrics can measure, right? Around color of skin, um, you know, what people talk about sexual orientation, gender, things like that. Yeah. But where, and I think where the whole DEI and diversity space is let down when the metrics only measure that because diversity is about much more. You know, we could have mm-hmm. surface level diversity in a boardroom, right? We have all different genders and and orientations and colors of skin and cultures there, but maybe they all think the same way.
1: That see that see that's a really good point. Now, a few years ago, I can't remember which episode it was, we actually touched on that. And, and my guests and I looked at the uh the executive team on their website of a company that had been around for 15 years, and we uh, noticed that they were all basically white guys in their early 60s who all had gray beards.
2: <laughs> so
1: my question was, is this a diverse organization? Now, there are those that just look at the, the vis- visual metrics and say, oh, that's an old boys club. Is it really an old boys club? Do you, do you know these men? Do you know what kind of culture they foster? Do you know what the next generation looks like? Do you know what they – Are giving to the world you don't know these things until you research it
2: right right you don't know their background you don't know where they went to school they all could have you know when people look at me i know we're not we're not on video but you know just i'm just a normal white american male right yeah white male and so and i i work in the diversity space and people it catches people off guard right which again shows bias right it Mm -hmm. catches people off guard because like even just going through training like people would look at me like what are you doing here Right. What uh-huh. but, but my background is is very diverse, right? And having worked in so many countries and worked with so many cultures. But people wouldn't know that about me unless they, you know, went deeper, you know, and that I speak different languages and all that. So I just to your point, right? That are on the surface level and a and deeper level. And the, the metrics in, in diversity just don't help because they focus on they can only measure the visible. Right. and and so that's why they don't they do a disservice to 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 D and i because that's that's the only metrics they have. and and diversity goes a lot deeper than that because when we want when we have diversity, we're talking about just like what you said, all this background, we have we, want, we have more innovation, we have creativity when we have all of this. And just in our context of the human element, it's it's all of us have to I think we can do better as a country and as a world we can do better and just in valuing the other or who
1: they are. Yeah, just uh, and I like to throw examples like this in sometimes. I'm thinking right now of somebody I, I chat with um through social media and this person is a they're a transgender uh male to female so mm-hmm. they you know they you know if we're gonna use the DEI terms they use she her pronouns right <laughs> um this person is a uh is a through and through conservative republican uh, who has a big interest in family values. Right. And then and uh, and I tell people this and they say how is that possible? How can a transgender be a republican? I ask why not. Right. Why not? And uh I have not yet received a clear answer other than republicans are hateful people. They they want a bit. no. no. <laughs> That's actually not the case. <laughs> Exactly. I'm I'm I'm, I'm telling I'm telling you because I'm in it. I know, right? Yes.
2: No, of course it's not. Yeah. but We take on these, and and I was listening to another conversation you had, but yeah, but just about the political extremes and the um anger game, angertainment or whatever the term was. It was very funny, but yes, it doesn't do our country and our people any service with all of these extremes because it just it makes it puts us against each other, and that's that's not good for our country. It's not good for us as a human race. And, and we're always we're trying to figure out what's wrong with other people and rather than, you know, all the stuff that we have in common. Because in the end, that's what um, we all want to be loved. You yeah. I mean? right? And sure, we you know, people that go through all of these, whatever challenges you want to talk about, you know, and now we're talking about transgender or other things. It's a human experience that they're going through, right? We're not going through it. So we're just trying to try to respect them as they're going through it, hold them with great dignity, care for them and um, you know and, and we, we're using that example right now but there's so many other things whatever it is people are going through we want to just be able to walk with people and I think going back to what you asked about empathy that's really what it is and really caring for and loving people and I think just all the judgment and, and it makes everyone defensive and it well people.
1: yeah and that's and and, and when you, and when and to me whether and I don't want this to get too political. I mean, I want to keep it focused on business, but it is the same thing either way. Right. Um, when you see, when you see efforts to divide, to emphasize others to an extreme degree, you know the you know the idea of the concept of other. Um, I mean, yeah, and and you know I've been in situations where I felt like an other. Uh, I mean, that was my experience in school growing up, a uh, uh, you know, smart kid with a speech impediment who got skipped from the first to the second grade right in the middle of the year. You can imagine I had a great time, right? <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so, um, so I'm, I'm not putting down the idea of other, but when it becomes the idea that um, we want to separate people and have them do struggle sessions and all this, I mean, my first question is, who profits?
2: Right, right. Yeah.
1: Follow the money, because yeah. when I because what I've because I can tell you I I've got I've got friends of you know all beliefs, mm. uh, leanings, orientations, and I can have conversations with all of them. Right, good productive conversations as well. Um, it's not simply because I'm looking to set aside our differences and just focus on what we have in common. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a matter of simply. As you say, managing the human elements and looking to find out who they are as human beings, how they've arrived, what uh, has formed the lens of their truth.
2: Mm-hmm. That's right. Yes. Yeah. I, think I, when I you know, when i going through just diversity training a lot, sadly, it's there's a lot of Marxist um, principles that are in it, you know, where it's sort of like the principles that some training would start with. We are all victims, right? And we are all sort of un, in submission and we all have to sort of fight back. I, so <laughs> that's that's not what this all this is about right so the, the it's sadly it's formed on some erroneous principles which yeah are, yeah it's, yeah. it's, it's very it's, sadly when it's brought into mainstream DNI training was brought into organizations it creates um it can be very divisive rather than bringing people together and helping people understand each other and see each other better
1: Certainly, I mean, I think everybody's been a victim of something somewhere along the way. Uh, you know, something was done to all of our ancestors by someone. I mean, it's a, that's just that's just a human condition. All you have all you have to do is look at maps of the world a uh, hundred years <laughs> apart, and you're going to see there have been winners and there have been losers, and there have been losers who won and winners who lost. Uh, and uh, you know, th- there's only so much, candidly, that you can redress in a way that's constructive. What I believe you can do is you can understand your history. You can mm-hmm. learn the lessons from your history and seek more constructive ways of handling things moving forward.
2: Definitely. Isn't that what they say? You know, learn from history so you don't repeat it? And Because if we would just erase history or we just kind of throw it in the trash, then we forget. And then we start repeating the same things.
1: Uh-huh. So now let's get to a topic that you mentioned a little bit ago that uh, my antenna went up when you said it. Emotional yeah. intelligence.
2: Oh, okay. Ooh,
1: now now we're now we're verging on the borders of neuroscience brain stuff. <laughs> OK, so uh, I believe and I agree with you, it's an essential trait for leaders. So how can one manage their own emotions and respond to the emotions of other constructively? And I think this is very important, especially since we spoke of empathy, because right. the empathetic personality tends to feel other people's feelings.
2: That's right. Yes. No, it's raining here. So if you can hear the rain, that's what it is.
1: It's okay. I'm preparing my dinner here. So uh, you know we're yeah. Uh, you know, this is this is this is what makes the world go wrong. We don't sit in <laughs> cubicles and stare at our computer screens.
2: Right. <laughs> okay. So the self awareness is so important. Emotional intelligence is part of it because it's being able, first of all, foremost, to identify in myself what's going on. And so, so emotional intelligence kind of has a few levels to it. One is identify where I'm at emotionally right sort of connecting them with that side of me to understand if it's serving me well in the in what I'm doing and and what I want to do the rest of the day. And if it's not serving me well or it won't serve me well into the future. And then how can I shift to an emotional state that will be constructive and help me. And yeah. And then you know and so navigating all that and then navigating that with other people. You know I, I do some couples work and in, so in leadership, and then in family, and, you know, when I talk about leadership, it's personal leadership, it's leadership in my inner circles, which is family, and then also just friendships. And then it's it's in the organizational professional context. Right, and all this is important because, um, sadly, a lot of us, and I'm, I'm gonna focus a little bit more on men, although I don't wanna, because it happens with women as well. We can yeah. sometimes, sometimes be disconnected from aspects of our emotions for whatever things that we've been we, we,
1: we we were raised that uh being a man meant not getting all emotional right. uh don't cry don't wear your heart on your sleeve suck it up
2: <laughs> yes yes yeah, so it was sort of kind of you know and it could be equalized as as weakness and men aren't weak and all this and so again there was a distortion there and so and i just think as women are a little bit more connected. You just look at them when they're in conversations, how they, you know, their body language, how they look at each other, how they can Very emotional. Men can be less. And I think there's a beautiful complementarity there. It's not saying which one's better, but I think we can both, you know, both we, we can learn from each other. There's certain feminine aspects so that I can develop more because they will help me to be a better person to be better. And there's, you know, women can develop certain masculine aspects that will help them to be better women and more successful in whatever they're doing. So emotional going just going back to this is emotional intelligence is that ability to really connect first and foremost with myself. And I think when we are able to do that, we also have this ability to then understand others better. And in leadership, since everyone's different, you know we have all these when I lead a team of people, I'm leading all of these different wavelengths and all of these different realities. And if my emotional intelligence and my self-awareness is is up, if I'm really, done a lot of good work there, then I am able to understand and connect with all those different wavelengths, with all those different channels. And we will be much more successful as leaders because we're connecting with our people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I I, I know, and as I mentioned, and I don't think it's just men either. I mean, you've seen uh, the strides that women have made and society, the workplace and everything else, particularly over the past half century. And I know from you know many experiences that I've seen that uh, they got some of that same messaging, which is essentially to uh, to be with the men, you got to be the men.
2: Yes. And, and that
1: and that, that just goes against nature.
2: Right. And it hasn't done them any favors. Right? A lot of the poorly interpreted feminist movement has not done the women favors. Right. Of course, There's so many healthy things that have happened. But it's made them. First of all, it's put them so many different pressures on them, and and then they've had to sort of shut off some aspects of that feminine genius that the world and the workplace so much needs. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And when women lose that place of their dignity and their beauty, then also then men sort of lose their place. So it's created this societal confusion. And so, anyways, it's just it's such a that's a whole other beautiful topic which I I enjoy talking about. <laughs> But, yeah um, but emotional you know emotional intelligence again it's about in the family it's, it's it's in couples it's so important and because again couples when they go through struggles and all this usually what, what happens is because they're really not connecting on that more intimate level now you said how can we grow in this one of the things you know really one of the things that i do is is i work with people and you know, as a as a coach as a personal coach really people in leadership roles but around but i meet them at their intersection between the personal and professional and it, it's you know without it, what happens to every client is having a coaching session or whatever if it's a therapeutic session or whatever having in the session where it forces you to stop or to slow down, it forces you to kind of look at yourself and I mean force in, in a positive way. You're you're able to look at yourself, you're able to kind of pay attention to what's going on around you, pay attention to what's going on inside of you. That is one way that can help us grow in our emotional intelligence and then being a learning how to express it what you're going through putting it into words because that's how we process as human beings you know what we're going through inside of us when we're able to then translate those concepts or feelings or emotions we're able to put into words we take more ownership of it, it becomes more real to us and we're able to hear ourselves say it uh-huh. oftentimes we'll be surprised by that and and so the, then we we're learning you know we're on that we're learning about ourselves in that process so coaching therapy whatever it is having someone in that safe sacred space that i can talk to that confidential space where i can process things and you know slow down in my life that is one very powerful way not the only way but it's one powerful way to grow in emotional intelligence yeah you should not underestimate the importance of having that space
1: no not at all, not at all. And to me that leads naturally to conflict resolution. So uh, tell us a bit about your work there. Uh, I love these types of stories
2: <laughs> right. Well I think as human beings that we most of us have a natural aversion to the to discomfort right? yes and conflict will be one of those things right the uncomfortable conversation, the difficult conversations. And so there's this whole avoidance thing, right? And so, you know, if if you go to Lencioni's five dysfunctions of a team, one of them will be fear of conflict. Right. And so what happens? And you know, we have the elephant in the room that nobody's talking about, everybody's sort of dancing around it and pretending. And that, whether it be in a personal relationship, you know, in a in a romantic relationship or in a family or in the workplace, then it affects the, the, the culture, the environment, because there's a lot of things that we're not dealing with so there's the avoidance and then there's can i trust people if we if they're we're not you know if they're not saying things if they're really not talking about the you know in this case what i would want to call just the elephant in the room so you know and i i was in an organization for a long time which had a lot of dysfunction And, and one of them was this they yeah they the culturally everyone had a very hard time with difficult conversations and conflict and we there was very toxic leadership and what happens when there's a fear of conflict, when you don't know how to deal with stuff and toxic leadership can live and can thrive. And I don't mean that in a positive way. But because no one's dealing with the real problems. And so the organization that I was in is, if you brought up the difficult conversations, you were sort of, you know, shamed or you were punished. And and so it just created over decades that no one dealt with difficult stuff. And that- Oh God, yeah.
1: We're, we're getting. We're both going to get in trouble for that one.
2: Right. <laughs> hurt it ruins a lot of people's lives, you know. And that's and then in the end, the institutional organization is not fulfilling its mission, right? And so there's, a, there's this huge contradiction that's existing, you know. And, the, and this happens on organizational levels. And this is it's very. I think it's much more common than people think, because you know, even in just modern day leadership, that people have a hard time with the difficult conversations. And sometimes it might mean because we don't necessarily know how to have the difficult conversations in the proper way, right? You know, with proper, the way we say things, the way we confront things, this ability to listen, right? And have this openness of mind to what others are saying without feeling that I'm being attacked. And, you know, because only conflict and difficult conversations is the way that we can find the truth. It's the way that we can find the best way forward. Yeah. And so if we don't do that, well, we're kind of shooting ourselves in the feet.
1: Kind of, yeah. So uh, here's an interesting question that just came to mind. Um, And I want to get your thoughts on this. And feel free, please. In fact, I encourage you if you have a different view on this than I do. But when I look at an organization that has a lot of ritualization about its communications and its uh, what I like to call togetherness rituals, and you know kind of you know i know that in most cases if i were to lift up the cover on that i would see all sorts of rot It's uh it's really not different from families that have a lot of exaggerated traditions and then you find out that they have uh vicious toxic cycles and this is how they deal with the fact that they have no mechanism for conflict resolution whatsoever
2: (laughs) yes you, you, uh, yes, I, I do agree. and I want to bring up a topic because this is something that I've been dying to talk about somewhere, and I want to, I would love to get your 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 take on it. Um, because it has to do with this togetherness sort of thing. When organizations or companies, you know this whole thing about saying that we are a family, yeah, is I don't think they realize. I know they do it with good intentions, but it is so destructive because first of all, you're not a family.
1: No, you're you're no you're, pe- or you're people who go to a place to engage in a transaction. Yeah. It may be a mutually beneficial transaction, but it is still a transaction. If right. you weren't, if I like, if I said as I said at the beginning of this conversation, if I ain't getting mine, I'm out.
2: Right. And if you you send you know, because in the organization that I was in, I was talking to someone the other day. You know, it's all about on the onboarding process. It's all about we are a family, right? But then we have to get rid of people. And you know, this guy told me the other day working at a very large tech company. Um, you know, all family, family, family. And he gets an email that he's being let go.
1: Wow. That's uh that's got him that's gotta make for some awkward uh family Thanksgiving conversation.
2: <laughs> you know, and and yeah, then he's locked out of all the systems and I, so we when we say that we're a family we're setting up all of these uh impossible expectations of what we're gonna do for our
0: people
1: yeah Here, yeah here's a micro example um i i mean i know you're on a bunch of different social media platforms as am i so if you go on twitter you follow each other and same with instagram if you go on linkedin you connect with each other so you know if you don't follow each other anymore okay so maybe they maybe they just don't want to see what i'm posting or maybe they were just cleaning up their list because we haven't spoken in a while same with linkedin um you know like i've had cases where Somebody sent me a LinkedIn connection request, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, we're already connected. Right. Oh, wait a minute. I haven't actually spoken with them in five years. They probably purged me like three years ago because we hadn't communicated, but I've come back to their radar screen. Oh, this is just a connection. It's like another handshake. Right. Now compare that to Facebook, where they decided that we would be friends. <laughs> right. And uh and 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 see how emotional people get over that, over being unfriended it's like you're going into somebody's identity i mean hey if you and i were you know I'm, I'm sure if we're not already connected on linkedin we will be shortly after our conversation here but let's say two years down the road uh you look and you see you have 12 000 connections you want to pare that down and mm-hmm. let's say maybe we're at that point where you and i haven't spoken in six months so you just uh you just you know disconnect from me right. you know no harm no foul uh matt matches clean match just clean up his list so when Matt comes back a year later because he heard me on some other podcast and he wants to catch up, connection request, welcome back, Matt. Nice to see you again. Okay. However, um, you and I were friends on Facebook. And then one day, and then one day I see you commenting on a thread and I go to your profile and I see the button that says add friend. <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, fuck you.
2: <laughs> you unfriended me. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's like you, it's like you took something. From you took something you basically rejected my personality. You rejected my friendship. And uh and there's a real psychology to that. So um, I mean, your friends. I mean, I've got friends that I would never connect with on social media because we're just way too different in that environment, it wouldn't work out well. (laughs) I also have people that I barely know that uh except for our relationships on social media,
2: right? That's right. And it is. friend and family. Those they're very profound, meaningful words. Okay? Yeah, we use them superficially, but but the, the the danger is exactly what you're saying. It psychologically and emotionally, that it has a much deeper impact on us. Absolutely, so, and it creates all these expectations that we have to make sure that we can live up to. And in professional organizations and teams. And, the, they can't live up to those expectations at some point we might have to get rid of you at some point we're gonna to to hold you accountable and all this right and which you don't get rid of normally you don't get rid of people in a family right
1: <laughs> well uh there are families and there are our families um I I, I I got I got disowned by a relative because they came to my Facebook profile and started arguments with my clients and I put and I put them on restricted that's
2: right yes I get it but you understand where I'm coming from
1: but, 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 but that but that was sort of like a 29th last straw basically uh, but uh, so I mean we all we all have a few of those and I'm sure they feel the same way about me whatever I mean the thing is is um you know your family is chosen by nature's lottery uh they're not it, it's just like the people you go to, through your compulsory education with up until the 12th grade uh, would you necessarily pick these people to socialize with I know the I know the ones I was thrown in with I, I wouldn't pick in a million years they're the people I avoid. <laughs> yeah. i wanted nothing to do with them then well yeah i already told you my you know, you know you know the kind of other i was in that environment so believe me they've earned me wanting nothing to do with them and uh whatever <laughs> and there are and there are others who feel that way about me perhaps i don't know but uh yeah. but, but the, the, the thing is is uh and yeah and then you go to school and then you're all part of the same team
0: yeah. you know
1: based on what I dealt with on a daily basis in school, I wasn't really feeling peppy at those pep rallies. <laughs> and When I, when I, when I heard there was going to be a pep rally, I went for that early dismissal note.
2: Right, right. Were... <laughs> Sounds like you had a rough time in
0: school.
1: Well, what... co- well college was good though. Right. And part of, and part of that is because even though I was strongly urged into it, it was ultimately my choice. I picked the school, I picked the major. And mm-hmm. when you're in college, you have, it's uh Chances are you're going to have a completely different makeup of fellow students in almost all of your classes, at least until you get to your major. And even then there's going to be greater diversity okay. than in your compulsory education. Okay. So, and and I went to Penn State, which is a very large school. Uh, mm-hmm. you can be five different people in one day.
2: <laughs> it is, no, it's but when you're in your higher education, you're choosing what you want to study. You're you're kind of your heart's more in it, and maybe you you find people that are. You know that are linked have different same interests in some areas, but yeah, I just I graduated from Penn State not too long ago with my master's in, in leadership. So
1: oh, uh, well, uh, uh Hey, hey! Uh, n- nice to know somebody no know, know somebody else who recognizes that God is a Penn Stater, which is why the uh, the the sky <laughs> is blue and the clouds are white. <laughs> <There we
2: go. laughs> That's great, Adam. So good.
1: Yeah. But- so. Uh, So we have a few minutes left here, and uh, I think a good place for us to wrap up is, you know, we've dealt with communication, empathy, flexibility, EI, conflict resolution. So now this managing the human element, let's go back kind of the beginning where we discussed it. Even if we like our work and even like our business, in the end, it is a transaction. I don't get mine. I'm out of there. Um, Professional development. You want to develop people, and that's essential for both your individual team members and your organization as a whole. So with everything we've discussed, how do you prioritize and support professional development? And I'm going to add one little caveat to that question, especially when there aren't a lot of opportunities immediately available within the organization.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. But yeah, this is a big topic because it's there's a lot of soft skills or invisible aspects in professional development. And so a lot of People look at the finances, right, and they're like, "Well, you know, is it worth it?" And, and so that's a lot of times people don't invest because they don't want to make the financial sacrifice. An organization doesn't want to invest in really in their in growing their people, and I think this is such an important aspect in in leadership is we want to grow our people and to have that conviction that when we invest in our people and their development and their growth, then the company is going to be better. Our people are going to be better. Everything's going to be better. Right? And we go back to those specific needs, the human beings, are, they feel like oh, my company cares about me. They're investing and in, they're seeing me, they're acknowledging me, they're, they're helping me grow. And now I would say, I, I might contradict what you said, because you're right, inside an organization, there might not be a lot of opportunities, but there are. the market is full of so many opportunities now for professional development. You just have to also, you have to be a bit cautious because there's a, a lot of for professional development out there
1: yeah <laughs> um, there's,
2: there's appropriately right and the market's full of it there's a lot of people that i would say are great marketers great sales people that sell professional development but not necessarily sell a good product right um, but there's there's a lot of good stuff out there. So be discerning and you know do your research and get good recommendations but there's a lot of good stuff out there and it's going to cost and if you want quality it's going to cost and, yeah and so it's I I see it. I like the word investment because it's you're investing in your people. And a lot of times, you know, we're putting people in these leadership roles, expecting them to do really well, but we haven't necessarily prepared them.
1: And some, 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 Sometimes leaders are promoted based on their previous job. Um, right. You know, a friend of mine has been in automotive sales since I think he was 15 years old and he's about my age. Right. So, uh, you know, he didn't go to college. He went straight into being a full-time car salesman. It's his life. He loves it. Yeah. So he got established at a dealership and about four or five years in, he got promoted to, uh, he got promoted to sales manager.
2: Right.
1: <laughs> Within 10 days he went to the owner begging to be put back on the floor
2: right?
1: because he wasn't ready for leadership.
2: That's right. People, uh, he
1: was comfortable on the floor. Now in today's, now, now in today's world,
2: mm-hmm.
1: he, he's a dealership manager. Right. He just wasn't at the point where he had either enough experience or enough in terms of personality development or skills or whatever you want to call it. Maybe emotional intelligence could be a combination of things. He wasn't ready for it then, and he was promoted to sales manager based on the fact that he was the top salesman for X number of months in a row. That right. didn't mean that didn't mean he knew how to manage other salespeople. That's right. He and actually he actually needed something else. So along the way, he found that something else, and he's doing really good with what he does right. now
2: yeah, through growing and maturing and all that. And- yeah, right. People, you know, because someone's good at a at a position doesn't mean that they're going to be good at the next one. And, and that's sort of, I think I challenge the traditional promotion structure, because we, you know, it's kind of like, if you want to get paid more, um, well, then you need to follow this, go up the pyramid, go up the stairs, but you're like, but, but some people aren't good on the upper stairs, right? They're really good. Right. At and how can we compensate them appropriately for their expert services? Now, but obviously you want to also compensate people, you know, the higher you go, the more you manage people. Well, the more problems you're going to have, and you also want to be compensated for that. But we want to prepare our people to manage people. We want to, first of all, make sure that they want to manage people and that they and then prepare them to do so because it's complex.
1: Uh-huh. Well, here's um you know, you know I was raised, uh, you know, f- on the tail end of the whole thing where you find a company, uh, you stay there, you stay loyal, you'll work your way up, and eventually you get the uh, gold shack and the watch in Fort Lauderdale, um, neither of which exists today. Uh, so after I completed my MBA, uh, I completed in December 2002, and then came the job hunt, which actually... Um, ended up with a couple small companies offering me positions. They were going to create for me because I reached out to them and they liked what I had to say, but I ultimately ended up taking a diagonal promotion with my existing employer. So, cause it gave me more money and more flexibility. Mm. I was starting to side hustle. I caught the entrepreneurial bug. Right. Anyway, anyway, while I was in the middle of that post MBA job search, a friend of mine, uh, yeah, you know, we were discussing, you know, some of the leads I was working on, some of the interviews I had coming up. And he just said, Well, you're you got to get out of that company you've been working for. And I said, What? I've only been there two years. He said, Yeah, you've been there two years. That's a job you held down while you had your MBA. Now you got the MBA and you've been there two years. You've been promoted there. Mm-hmm. So what are you gonna do? You're just gonna sit there forever? People are gonna look at your resume and say, what's he doing just sitting there? Aren't other companies trying to poach him? Aren't they? I mean, isn't he dynamic? Is, is is he just sitting on his ass? Isn't he out there looking to get employed by other companies? Right. And, it, and then tie that to the old trope that companies will sometimes invest more money in recruiting people from the outside mm-hmm. than they will internally. And mm-hmm. I think there's a reason for that. It's because... You develop a different set of skills when you move around. And to me, professional development is understanding that you may develop somebody who goes to work for another company. That's not necessarily bad. Maybe three years later, you poach them back. And now they're even more developed because now they've seen another environment. They've added added a new set of skills. And who knows? Maybe you want to jump after them. If right. you're, hey, if you're looking to, if you're looking to penetrate another company, having a friendly face on the inside is going to help.
2: Definitely. Yes. And I know some companies that are very much about that. They, they want their people to grow. And if growing means going somewhere else, that they're going to support you
1: to do that. Yeah, absolutely. It's so
2: but it's a great mentality, I think.
1: Yeah. So um, I think we'll leave our listeners with uh, something to uh think about on that one and i'm going to at this point uh, you have an invitation for our listeners and i'm going to share that with them and it's real simple folks all you got to do is find matthew bracket on linkedin and connect with him okay. so he'll have a conversation with about these and other topics um he, any help that he has uh that his, that's his to give and if you've enjoyed listening to some of the things he had to say you see he he's analytical he's insightful he gets in depth he's a problem solver he's an innovator he's definitely somebody you want to connect with so there's no free special report there's no subscribe to his podcast not this time we're just going for the personal connection so go send send him a connect request and when you send a little message just say Heard you on the Business Creators Radio Show, so uh, he knows you're one of the good people.
2: There you go. Yeah, they can find me on Instagram as well, Matthew Bracket. All right. On my, my website, Bracket Alliance, where they could see a little bit more about my services. But yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Let's just let's just say that website, Bracket Alliance, B-R-A-C-K-E-T-T-A-L-L-I-A-N-C-E dot com. It's right. a it's a great website. Got a lot of great information on it. So with that, Matthew Bracket, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor. Believe me, in education.